Hi, friend. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. And it is my sincere hope you'll hear something that will encourage, edify, equip, and then get you out into the marketplace of ideas. But before you listen, I'm going to tell you about this month's Truth Tool. My Truth Tool is offered to anyone who gives a financial gift to In the Market with Janet Parshall. And this month, I've chosen the book, Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Ever been there? Of course you have. We all have been. Sometimes we think we're walking in circles, and we're wondering whether or not God has left us, we've walked away from Him, what in the world we're doing if we're even in the center of His will. So this book is designed to help you find peace and confidence in your current challenge. And all of us have challenges. It also will make sense of most of the lessons you're learning right now. And the most important part of this and why I felt this would be appropriate is because it will help clarify in your mind the unique mission and message that God has given to you. So the book is called Connecting the Dots. It's yours for a gift of any amount. And all you have to do is call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. And give a gift of any amount, and we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. If you prefer to do it online, that's easy as well. In the market with JanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Click on through, make your gift, and again, we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. Just below the picture of the book is a description of what it means to be a partial partner. Those are people who give every month a gift of their own choosing. They set the level of giving. I don't. But they'll always get the truth tool. And in addition to that, a weekly newsletter that goes out as well. So consider being a partial partner or getting a copy of Connecting the Dots by calling 877-JANET-58 or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now please enjoy the program. Friends, this is Janet Parshall, and I want to welcome you to the best of In the Market. Today's program is pre recorded, so our phone lines are not open, but I do hope you'll enjoy today's edition of the best of In the Market with Janet Parshall. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely rare safety move by a nation. 17 years of Palestinians and Israelis Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. Thank you so much for spending the hour with us. So let me ask you a couple of questions. In honesty, transparency between you and me as friends, have you ever said to yourself, why did it have to end that way? Or how about, why did they leave? Or why didn't God do something? Or why is this happening? Or did God allow this because he's mad at me? Why, why, why? As believers... Let's be honest with one another. We do ask ourselves why, particularly when it is a dark night of the soul. And then we wonder, where is God? And we fail to see that even in that darkness, God is refining, transforming, and conforming us to his son, always at work. As we're going to talk about this hour, we're going to clear away the fog, help you to see this biblically and with clarity, and help you to understand that he loves you. He's on the throne. He's not wringing his hands, worrying about whatever problem you join me today with. He's got things under control. That's the kind of holy, great, precious, loving father he is. We're going to talk to Joel Mom. He's written the book, Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Oh, I don't know. Every single person within the sound of my voice can say, been there, done it. Maybe you're even there today. And this is a perfectly timed conversation. Let me tell you who Joel, Joel is. He's pretty interesting. He's the founder of Summit Leaders. He uses outdoor adventure and leadership coaching to help people find their calling and pursue a vision for their lives. So guess where he's gone? He's gone around the world to places like Mount Kilimanjaro, 
the Grand Canyon, Machu Picchu. He's traveled to over 70 countries and on six continents and speaks not one, not two, but three languages. He has an undergrad in poli-sci, political science, and an MS in counseling. And then he speaks at churches and conferences and corporate events all over the country and is the author of multiple books. This is going to be a great conversation. Joelle, thank you for your gift of your time, for the gift of your well-honed book that teaches us to recognize the hand of God even when we're in the middle of the night. But thank you for giving me something I can't give back, which is one irreplaceable hour of your life. And I treasure it. And I thank you for being here. But I got a gazillion questions. Let me start with your education. What drew you to poli sci in the first place? Well, I wanted to change the world, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect answer. <laughs> And when you realize you yes, exactly. And when you realized you couldn't, you went into counseling where you got your master's. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I started to realize I think it it seems to happen on an individual level. Uh the the change, the heart change seems to lead to the bigger change. So I I decided to to get into that business. So see, I think that's cool. And I want to linger because I want people to realize what you just said. So most poli sci majors, and coming to you from the nation's capital, obviously we've got a town full of people with those kinds of degrees. It really is about creating policy, thinking you can change the world through policy, but it really is about changing the human condition. And what's so interesting, Joelle, is so many bits of legislation are trying to change the heart condition, which, of course, may give you a temporary fix, but it doesn't have an eternal ramification by any stretch of the imagination. But I I have to tell you that segue then into counseling is beautiful because you really understood where real change can take place one person at a time. But now I got to go to the adventure part. My husband and I often say, you know, there I heard the head of PBS once give a wonderful lecture, a follower of Christ, and he talked about how important the aesthetic is because the aesthetic is one of the ways that people are drawn to God. So Craig and I adore being outside simply because we're so cognizant of his handiwork. Standing in an ocean, realizing I'm too little, God's too big, what is man that thou art mindful of him? I can't control that. You made it and you can control it. And it really is a wonderful way of putting into us a sense of awe and boy, are we lacking that today. So take me on a tour. What would I learn from you if I went to Mount Kilimanjaro? Well, you, you probably wouldn't learn anything from me, but uh, <laughs> the experience would definitely teach you some things. My, my friend, Mark Batterson, right there in DC, he came up with this brilliant formula. He said, change of pace plus change of place mm. equals change of perspective. And he's been on multiple trips with me. And every time he shared that with me, I'm like, that's exactly what happens on these trips. Sometimes you've just got to get out of the routine. And all of a sudden, God starts to reveal to you the stuff that was already right there in front of you, but you see it from a new perspective. And when you see it from that new perspective, it changes everything. I mean, that's actually kind of one of my driving themes. You may have seen that in the Mm -hmm. book is so much of life is about how you choose to look at it. Are you going to look at it from the lens of God's working behind the scenes in my life and he's doing stuff, he's preparing me, or you're going to get kind of bogged down in the details of the, oh, there's so many things that could be better. And I think perspective happens when we get out into nature. It is part of that that kind of understanding how small we are and how great he is. And boy, when you've got that in right perspective, it changes everything. It sure does. It sure does. And I remember uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer made a very, very compelling statement. Obviously, a man who would end up losing his life for the cause of the cross. But he talked about when he was in detention with the Nazis that they could take away his family, his food, his freedom, but they could never take away his freedom to choose his attitude. 
And that was very compelling for me personally, because I thought even in a camp, in a death camp where he would eventually lose his life, he still had the freedom to choose his perspective. And I, yeah. I, let me just linger here for a minute, because what is it about? I mean, one would think, oh, that's that's 101. OK, that's an entry level thought. We shouldn't have to worry about that. But I don't know if it's the milieu of the culture, the chaos of everything around us that we allow the voices in that cacophony of the marketplace that you heard as we started the program that take away the recognition of the reality of choice of perspective. Do you think that's the case? Oh, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely it. It's, um, there's so much noise. I mean, it, the, the crazy thing is, you know, Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but mm -hmm. in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind. Um, but you've got to first recognize anxiety for what it is. And so many times I think we're driven by anxiety and we don't even realize it. We see it as just, you know, I want to be alert to what's going on. I want to be aware, but there's so much anxiety that comes with just the demands of, 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 you know, everybody's saying the world's going to end democracy's over, you know, everybody's declaring these things, but we've got, when we can tap into the peace that passes all understanding, that's when it guards our hearts yeah. and minds. You bet. Absolutely. And he gives us a piece that's a whole lot different from the world, the scripture tells us. This is going to be a comforting, a timely, and an important conversation because, as Joel just said, there's not a person out there who doesn't deal with anxiety. If you're listening to the American Psychological Association, by the way, and they've been tracking this for years, Americans are more anxious and fearful now than they've ever been before. Probably a really good time to recognize what God is doing in your life when things just don't make sense. Back after this. God is always at work in your life, but most of the time you can't see it or understand it. That's why I've chosen Connecting the Dots as this month's truth tool. Discover how to know what God is doing when life doesn't make sense. Ask for your copy of Connecting the Dots when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. Or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. We're visiting with Joel Malm, who is the founder of Summit Leaders. He uses the outdoors to really let people experience something that changes their perspective. And that's what we're going to do this hour, I hope, as well. Changing your perspective. Oh, God, where are you? So many people have said that when they're in the middle of the pit, in the absolute center of the refiner's fire. And yet the point that Joel makes in his new book, Connecting the Dots, is really you have to start looking at things differently, that even when you can't see the hand of God, he is still very much at work. So I love the title, Connecting the Dots, and it obviously ties back into this whole idea of this journey, the circular story that you talk about in the book. Uh, walk me through the different steps of this, if you would. We can break it down as we continue our conversation, but this whole kind of circular journey, um, that's where we connect the dots, because this is... Um, a journey, if I can put it, I'll use the word again. So my question before we break it down is, did you observe this in other people? Did you experience this personally? How did you come up with this concept of this circle? Yes, <laughs> all of that. <laughs> um, the way it started, I actually started my writing career as a fiction writer. And one of hmm. the things they talk about in fiction is that there is a very consistent pattern to what makes a great story. 
and there's this story arc. We, you probably remember learning about that maybe mm-hmm. in literature class where it starts off with a character's life starts with a turning point. Everything changes. Uh, the, some courage is required. The character may not think they have courage, but they, they find this courage from somewhere within them. A guide usually appears, a Gandalf or a, a you know, uh, to lead Frodo or a Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, or a yellow brick road or whatever mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. that, that, to guide you. And then ultimately the character has to make a decision to go all in. They face a series of challenges. Those challenges pull things out of them that make them stronger than they realize they were. They face this decisive dark cave, this battle they have to face off with. Oftentimes it's something inside of them. Sometimes it's a battle with a dragon. They emerge from that and they return a journey home, but they've got a whole new perspective on life. And they've got this new message to bring back to people that maybe didn't venture out or had a different adventure. And I I started to realize that's, I mean, if you look at the story of Jesus, Jesus exemplifies everything that is in our world that we see as truth. Um, you see that in his life. You see that in the stories of the great heroes of faith. And what's really wild is that I did more research on it. Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And that Hebrew word path, it's a kind of an odd word. It's magol. And it has this sense of he leads us in circular paths, like a shepherd would kind of gently lead sheep up a hill. He can't lead them straight up. They're kind of big and poofy and got skinny legs. So he <laughs> gently leads them up a path. And and I started realizing that's exactly how God leads us. I overlapped that with my life. And I realized every season of life really has about nine of those, you could call them waypoints in hiking. We call them waypoints, which are kind of intermediate steps on the journey. And the beautiful thing about it, when you start to see it, I've got that chart in the book you may have seen, Mm -hmm. uh, that chart, it's kind of like a mall map. Like you can at any point in your life look and go, yep, that's where I'm at right now. I'm here, I'm there. But you, you, you start to realize you don't necessarily always know what God's doing, but you can be confident there's a consistent pattern to his work and he's gently leading you right to where he intends for you to be. And the beautiful part is somebody asked me, I was speaking at an event last night. They said, what if you messed up along the way? And I said, you know, my mentor, he was, wasn't, he was a pretty blunt fellow. He told me once, he said, you know, Joel, God's already accounted for your stupidity in the plan. <laughs> and I and I was like, thank the Lord for that. So even when we get a little bit off the track, he has this way of taking all things and working it together for good. Mm-hmm. And he, he continues to use that pattern, that circular pattern that, of the gentle shepherd guiding us along the way. Wow. That's, I laughed about the sheep. As somebody who has sheep, I can tell you that's exactly right. Um, and by the way, <laughs> I will further embellish your statement by saying it is not a compliment at all to be called a sheep in Scripture, okay? And an entire <laughs> flock, there is one brain cell among them. So that's not a compliment, and we definitely need a shepherd. But let me go back to something you said. You touched on Romans eight twenty eight, which I think is great, but grotesquely misunderstood. So before we take this journey Let me go back to this idea, because people conceptualize the idea that all things work together for good, uh, and then they fill in the rest of the verse, and all things working together for good is really, we don't get past the rest of that, because good is when I get what I want, not what God is working (laughs) out in my life, right? So walk me through that. Well, it says, for those who are called according to His purpose. And one of the important, one of the the important things about your history, it's his story. His story is actually his story. Mm -hmm. You're walking out the plans and purposes that he has for you. And if you keep, you know, that's one of the challenges we face, you know, the the book you're talking about, live your truth. That's one of the challenges we face in this world of kind of this postmodern ideas. Mm -hmm. I create my own reality and uh, man, that's that's really bad news if I create my own reality because I'm the center of the universe. But it's really a lot more it, it, exciting to think I'm a small part in a big picture. There's this transcendent God who's come down and made himself 
eminent here, but uh, he's walking with me through my story. And I'm not alone in this. I'm not, it's not out up to me. I'm, I'm a small piece in a very big picture, his story that he's writing. Yeah. Wow. But again, let me linger on this. Oh, and you are, Joel, just a fascinating person to talk to. And I hear something I want to stop because you make me think more critically. So this idea of being a small piece in a big story should be appealing if Jesus is my all in all. But in a post-truth world, it's repugnant to a lot of people. I want to be the big cheese in the story. I don't want to be a small piece in a big story. I want to be the story. And going back to what you said before, in postmodernism, when you say, I will live my own truth, you have already negated the truth giver himself. So it's Genesis 3. I'm a God. Okay, I will make my own truth, what's right, what's wrong. I don't hear an ounce of, I'm a little person in a big plan in there. How do we hunger after that kind of a positioning that we are in the big picture, and I'm willing to be a small piece. In fact, truth be told, I am so grateful every day of my life I'm even in the picture at all. Yeah, you know, it's it's such a, a it's kind of a specious argument. Mm-hmm. Man, if you can make yourself the center, but you know, it's deceptive. And but we see the results of what it's creating. And and when you, when you're the center of the world and reality, God's reality bumps up against you, you end up getting frustrated at reality. And <laughs> That's never going to lead to any peace. At some point, we have to surrender to the reality of the order he's put in place. And when we do that, man, there's this tremendous peace realizing he's writing your story. If you'll just let him write it and you live obediently to what he's called you to do. Wow. Don't you love conversations like this? I'm going to pick up on a word that Joel used earlier, perspective. This idea of perspective is so hugely important. It gives you a peace. It takes so much of the stress off your shoulders. You can take a deep breath. He's got this. He's got you. Changing your perspective. We're going to talk about connecting the dots with Joel. That's his new book. We want you to discover what God is doing, even when it doesn't make any sense at all. Back after this. Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. It's the newest book by Joel Mom, who's the founder of Summit Leaders, and he really wants us to recognize the hand of God. You know, I, I've got a little quotation in the front of my Bible that says, learn to trust the heart of God even when you can't see the hand of God. And that is about changing your perspective. So let me go to this not perfectly circuitous, but rather mm, curled journey that's made up of nine steps And it starts out, interestingly enough, with what you call the turning point. What is a turning point? Well, the turning point is something uh, you you may have expected, but or you didn't expect it. uh, But it changes everything in life. You know, the birth of a child can be a turning point. Even things you, even things you expect, can kind of jolt you a little bit. Uh, Having a child kind of comes to mind. But uh, you think you're ready for having a child, but it, it kind of jolts you. Getting married, uh, sometimes it's a divorce. It's the death of a loved one. It's a diagnosis. It's something that changes everything for you. And that's when a, a new season begins where you're kind of forced to, there's parts of you that are forced to kind of be pulled out of you that you maybe didn't know were, were in you. Yeah. Okay. That's, I think that's universally understood. Let me just add a backup question on this. And again, we're talking to people who are at various stages of their growth in Jesus Christ. So the turning points happen because we are east of Eden and we are not yet in glory. Some of them will be good. Some of them won't be good. But there's a terribly nasty bit of mythology out there that says once you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's just 
fluffy clouds and harps and easy going after that. And then when a turning point comes, and it's not one of those happy ones, it's one of those devastating, took the wind out of my sails, I think I've been hitting the solar plexus ones. What do we do as a believer? Do we think, oh, wait a minute, I didn't think this was supposed to happen because I'm now a believer in Christ. How do we respond to that? Yeah, I mean, so I talk about that. You know, when those things happen, um, the the question we often ask is why. And as a, a counselor, I've seen over and over again, it's not why isn't the best question in the in the throes of the of the <laughs> challenge. Um, the best question is what? How am I going to respond to this? Mm-hmm. And you know, you have two two options. And I mean, if you look at it actually neurologically, psychologically, when you see yourself as a victim of what has happened to you, you actually go into a survival and defense mode. But when you see yourself as an adventurer. And really, you know, G.K. Chesterton, my favorite author, mm-hmm. he said, an adventure, an adventure is only an inconvenience rightly considered. <laughs> it's not an adventure until something goes wrong. And he says, it, you know, if, if you see it as just it's an adventure, you're, you, something actually happens in your mind where your mind goes into to learning mode and you go, OK, what am I going to learn here? And, and it's trusting that God, you know, God really is sovereign in some way. He's going to work this to, for good. And so my goal here is to say, how am I going to respond to this? And it's easy to go into victim mode. It's really yeah. easy. Like this yep. shouldn't have happened. And, and how come it, you know, how come they're, they're not even as healthy as me and they got, I got cancer, right? Mm-hmm. How did this happen? And it's easy to start doing that, but that goes nowhere good. The question is, God, how, how do I need to respond to this? And I'm going to trust and I'm going to believe even like, like you said, even though I can't see your hand, yeah. I love how John Piper, he says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. If you're lucky, you'll see three of them. I'm going to trust that somewhere in the middle of this, God is working. Wow. So a couple of things come to mind when you said that. First of all, I love that you love Chesterton. I mean, uh, great writings. And I I was thinking also that Tolkien, I think, picked up on this idea as well. So what happens when Gandalf knocks on the door and we've got Frodo who goes, we're going on an adventure. Now, it's not necessarily a happy trip by any stretch of the imagination, but his perspective wasn't fear because there were going to be orcs and there was going to be spiders and there was going to be all these other monsters that he would have to slay. It was an adventure. So let me drop this into common parlance. So you get that diagnosis and you go, wow, this is going to be an adventure. So I immediately thought of Johnny Erickson Tata, who after being in a wheelchair for 50 years with unremitting constant pain gets diagnosed with breast cancer. And I want to be this. I want to do what she did. And the doctor says, you have breast cancer. And her first response is, okay, Lord, what do you want to teach me this time? Now, she understood Mm -hmm. it was, quote, an adventure, but it was a perspective that she had. That seems to me, let me go to Lewis, as long as we're talking about some of our famous writers who said the will necessarily precedes the emotion. So that has to be a choice, an overt exercise of the will to say, I'm going to view this as an adventure and I'm going to be able to trust God through all of this. How how does one do that? I don't think you wake up the next day and go, I've got this. I think it only comes like working out in a spiritual gym that you get that kind of strength. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. So I had an incident last year. Um, it was funny. I just dropped my daughter off at school and I had this thought pop into my mind that I, I don't know if it was God or I heard everything I send into your life is a gift. And I thought, wow, that's so wonderful of God to say that. Um, and two two weeks later, I found out I had melanoma. Mm. And and that that thought rung, rung in my head. And I, I was like, you know what? This is the chance to test everything I've written about in this book. The book was coming out in six months. I'm like, this is the moment. Like, this is the test to see if I'm ready for this. A.W. Tozer, he said, it's it's doubtful whether God can use a person greatly before he's first wounded yeah, isn't them that deeply. The truth? Yep, yep. And 
and I saw it. And, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book, there's a guy named uh, Nassim Taleb, and he's an interesting cat. And But he talks about this idea of, of there's three kinds of organisms in the world. There's fragile organisms, robust organisms, and anti-fragile. And fragile organisms, they break when they're exposed to stress. Um, robust organisms, they, they just kind of are unmoved. But he's like, fragile isn't the opposite of robust. He says the opposite of fragile is something that actually gains from chaos and disorder. And he calls mm. it, he makes up a word, anti-fragility. Mm. And he says, basically, humans are anti-fragile. And anti-fragile systems are those systems that with a little bit of stress, a little bit of chaos, a little bit of deprivation, they actually grow and get stronger. And if you treat an anti-fragile system like it's fragile, it becomes fragile. So God's gift to us is to treat us as anti-fragile. Yeah. Wow. And boy, there's a person listening right now who can't say, ah, oh, okay, that makes sense when I was going through that. By the way, there's a whole series of steps on this journey. And Joel is such a fascinating person. We haven't gotten past the first one yet. Let me say to you what I always say about books that I find personally impacting. I'm not doing a book report, okay? I just want you to start thinking about these issues. And if you end this conversation with Joel and me and you go, I want more, we will have done our job. The book case, by the way, you're already thinking that way. Connecting the dots. What God is doing when life doesn't make sense. We're going to take a break and continue our conversation on this most important conversation topic about the hand of God in our lives. Back after this. God's Word tends to follow a specific circular pattern in every season of life. When we understand His pattern, we gain perspective on His hand in our life. That's why I've chosen Connecting the Dots as this month's truth tool. Find clarity for your unique mission and message. Ask for your copy of Connecting the Dots when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. You know, it really helps for us to do a deep dive in understanding the character of God because when that, I'm going to use the phrase again, when that dark night of the soul comes, it's certainly something that you can endure, that you can take peace in, that you can take a deep breath and just rest in him because he's in charge. Uh, You know, we've had quite a few interesting um, uh, turning points in our life as a family, Um, a lot of them unexpected. And where we take great comfort is that we know that nothing happens in our lives that hasn't been first vetted in the throne room of heaven. So it is like, oh, that caught God off guard. It's like, uh, no. In fact, Joel Malm is with us. He is the founder of Summit Leaders. He's written the book, Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. I'm going to get to that second point in the journey in just a minute. But that idea of if our battle is against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and it is, And this turning point comes, and it's not one of the good ones that kind of, okay, I got to get ready for this, but this is going to be interesting and some new adventures, but it's one of the negative ones. Um, The feeling is, well, again, God got caught off guard. That that wouldn't have happened. If he was a good God, then this wouldn't have happened. If he loved me, he would have prevented this. He would have stopped this. Where are you, God? One of those questions that you write about in the book. We got to tackle that, slay that Apollyon right now, or people aren't going to move forward. How do we square that diagnosis, that uh, failed marriage, that prodigal child, that uh, loss of a job with a God who loves us? That's, I mean, that's the question of the ages. Another Tozer quote, he said, what comes to to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Mm. And we have to kind of figure out, I mean, this is the reason theology is so important. What do we believe about Mm -hmm. the character of Mm -hmm. God? Do we believe that uh, do we really, truly believe that he's going to work in some way, all things together for the good of those who love him, for those that are called 
to according to his purpose. And one of the things I talk in there, if you really believe that, what would it change about your current situation? And that's the, the thing we have to ask all the time, because that's really what faith is. Faith is, is believing that what God says is true, even when it doesn't seem to be true at the time. That's important. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation because if it does nothing else but get you friends deeper into the word to understand who God is, then I think Joel, Joel and I will have done our job because if you're making up a God of your own construction, you will end up utterly dissatisfied and confused and not get to that place of perfect peace. So uh, you say after we have this turning point that it's going to require good or bad, it's going to require some semblance of courage. Uh, on one hand, you could say that's kind of a self-evident truth. Okay, suck it up, buttercup. You're going to have to push through this. But on the other hand, where does one find? Where What well do you go to to dig courage out? You know, courage is not necessarily the absence of fear. It is facing the fear. How do we do that? How do we learn to find that courage? Again, it comes back to what you believe about God. And do, do you believe, you know, if perfect love drives out fear, as it says, uh, I think first John, it says perfect love drives out fear. If we really believe that, um, then where do we get that perfect love? And we have to believe that I'm convinced, persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor power nor height nor depth or any other created thing is able to separate me from the love of God. I may have lost the love of my life. I may have come down with a diagnosis of something that I, I thought that was for other people, not for me. I may find myself divorced and I thought that, that I never thought that would happen to me. But am I convinced that in the middle of this, God still loves me in a way, and, and, and you know, he allowed these things that happened. Again, your theology, I hear all sorts of different theologies. I travel the country. Some people say God would never allow that to happen. Look, wherever your theology is, <laughs> you have to believe God somehow, some way is involved in everything that's happening, mm-hmm. and he's working all things through his power for good. Yeah. And that, that's what it comes down to. And, and that's where the courage comes from. That you only get courage to, to believe that if you really believe that he's somehow working in your situation. If you think he's abandoned you, that's hopelessness, which is... I mean, that's what we see in our world today. If, if, yeah. if God is not there, if he does not exist, if he is not involved in our lives, the best thing you can do is just end it right now because there's no purpose. And, you know, it's, it's a very deceptive argument. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I really appreciate what you said about understanding who God is. I can have courage because I trust in a God who's bigger than me, who is in charge, who is still sitting on the throne. Um, So I think one of the challenges, and we've hearkened to this a couple of times, but I think it's very important because there is a preponderance of evidence that we are becoming more, not less, biblically illiterate. You hearken back to something Dr. Paul Little wrote about years ago, not only knowing what you believe, but knowing why you believe it. The the adage of the bumper stickers that says, the Bible said it, I believe it, that's it, doesn't cut it in a postmodern world. It might be true, but it's true because it's in the Bible, not because the Bible says it's true. It's already true in that book. But when you engage, and that's what this program is all about, is getting you to engage in the marketplace. If you think you're called just to evangelize, uh, which, by the way, I think is a ridiculously shorthanded sentence, you have to get out in the marketplace to be able to connect with other people. But if you don't have, and I'm going to use this phrase, a higher view of God, then I think you're in trouble. We've Because we're not becoming more biblically literate. We fail to recognize not only the God who's the comforter, and we'll talk about the guide in a minute, but the God who is holy and in charge and in control and sovereign and omniscient, and the list of characterizations go on and on and on. If it is a God of our own construction, we end up shorthanded every time, it seems to me. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. The other thing I think that is, is lacking, there's definitely a lack of biblical knowledge, but you know, a person with experience is never at the mercy of a person with a theory. Yeah, and what I good. think is when you've experienced the truth working itself out in your life, ain't nobody going to shake you. <laughs> um, when you say, yeah, no, no, no. I, you know, come, with, come at me with all your theories. I know God has been working in my life. And that's the important thing about, I mean, that's part of why I wrote this book. I want you to see God has been working behind the scenes in your life, even when you didn't realize what he was doing. Yeah. When you've got that confidence that he was working behind the scenes and you've experienced it, People can come at you with all sorts of specious arguments, but you go, no, I'm not going to fall for that. I know what I know deep inside, and I've got the Bible to back it, but I've also got the experience of living by that truth. And that's, I mean, that's power right there. They overcame by the blood of the lamb mm -hmm. and by the word of their testimony. God's work in your life is a powerful message to the world. Yeah. Amen to that. So I referenced the guide. We started talking about the turning point, that changing, that seismic event the courage that it's going to require for you to continue. And then you talk about how this hero who's stepping up has to have a guide, a mentor, a friend. Talk to me about that because you're talking to a culture that is moving more and more toward isolation, not community. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, what's that? There's a book I read recently, Bowling Alone, and he just it's an mm. older book, Put Putnam, but he talks about how we've just become more and more isolated. And even since then, we've become more isolated. Mm. But we're not made for that. We're made for community. And uh, the, the powerful thing about the guide, you know, before Jesus left the earth, he, Jesus was the fullness of truth in human form. Before he left the earth, he said, guys, I've got a lot more I want to tell you. I want to show you. But essentially, you can't handle the truth, you know, Jack Nicholson style. So he said, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit and he's going to guide you into all truth. Basically, Jesus was, I mean, we're still trying to figure out everything Jesus said. Like it, it was so rich and deep. And that's why he sent the Holy Spirit to guide us in the truth we need. And it's an unchanging truth that we learn to work out in whatever place God has put us in history. And our guide is the Holy Spirit. I talk about the four ways the guide speaks. Um, you know, when I'm leading a team, I have 3.5 guides. <laughs> I've got a guy out front. I've got a guy in the middle. I got a guy in the back. And then I'm the 0.5. And I kind of rotate between the, the, the group. And the first one, the gold standard, is the Word of God. You will never hear something from God or someone tells you something that contradicts the Word of God, and it be, it's not going to go against His Word. The second is there's this, uh, He speaks through guidance. King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, I mean, he, he should have been the guy that said, you don't need guidance, just get wisdom. But he said, wisest man who ever lived said, you need counsel multiple times. Mm. Then there's this inner voice of God that speaks within us. And and it's this kind of just, you'll, it says a verse in Isaiah, it says, when you turn to the left or the right, you'll know this is, you'll hear a voice saying, this is the way walk there in it. Mm. And then there's the point five, which I think this only is used when it lines up with all the other three. And again, this is a hierarchy of guidance, the word of God, uh, authorities in our life, spiritual authorities, and then uh, that inner voice that he speaks within us. But the other one is circumstances. Now, sometimes circumstances line up. Sometimes you got to act in spite of perfect circumstances. But you kind of go move towards that, trusting that God's leading you. And um, again, I've, I told, I think I mentioned in the book, I've never been more than about 60% sure on any decisions I've made about something I heard God saying. Uh, <laughs> but I just, you went forward and you trusted he's big enough to bail you out if you heard him wrong. Oh, that's good. That's excellent. And the circumstances part, I'm glad that you said that it's kind of point five, because in my walk with the Lord, circumstances often become the affirmation after I've made the decision, as opposed to helping me make the decision. It was like, oh, thank you, Lord. I needed that sort of Western Union that affirmed that I was hearing you correctly and moving in that right direction. So it's, again, 
But it requires, in the cacophony of the culture in which we find ourselves, that sensitivity to hearing his inner voice. Now, I want to linger here for a minute. That's why this book is so good, Joelle, because I can't plow through this. There's just too much richness here. How does one develop an inner ear to be able to hear the voice of God? You know, we're not talking delusional voices in the head. Every one of us who knows that that was from the Lord, don't you don't hear an audible voice. Does he, you know, does God speak like a tenor or a baritone? That's not the point. How does one create, um, well, not just create, but develop a sense of discernment that that was from the Lord? Like when you were sitting there and you heard the Lord speak clearly to you. Well, I, it's, it's a discipline you just develop over time. And, and a lot of times you have to step out. And like you said, you find out afterwards that was the voice of God. <laughs> so it's, it, it takes, uh, it takes a walking with him and, and learning what his voice sounds like in your life, in your specific situation. Yeah. The book is absolutely fascinating. And I would recommend it to every single one of us because we've all been in that place where we go, hello, God, are you there? Why did you leave me? Why did you let this happen? When you change your perspective, and that's what Joel is really all about, changing our perspective, you can, according to the title of his books, Connect the Dots. Connecting the Dots, what God is doing when life doesn't make sense. It's his newest book. Absolutely wonderful read. Back after this. Joel Malm is with us, founder of Summit Leaders. He speaks at conferences all over the world, by the way. And he loves to take people out into the world on adventures that help them to see a different place and a different perspective. And he does that in his book. You can skip Mount Kilimanjaro in the book, but you can sure learn how to have a different perspective by connecting the dots. That's the title of his newest book, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Now, there, Joel, I think I'd be doing my listeners a favor. If you just go over, and, and I'm going to dig in a little bit deeper here, but clearly I'm not going to get to every one of these steps, and that's okay. As I said earlier, that's not what our conversation's designed to do. It's to get those thinking parts of your brain going where you really desire to think critically and biblically. We started with the turning point. We went to courage. Then we talked about a guide. Just say, if you would, the other steps before you hit yet another turning point in your life. Yeah. The next is the decision. Uh, There's a point where you've got to decide to go all in. There's a point, there's a story where Jesus, somebody came to him and said, I want to follow you, Jesus. And he said, all right, come on. And the guy said, well, let me go bury my father. And Jesus, you know, this is the savage Jesus, not the Jesus of Hallmark cards. He says, uh, let the dead bury their dead. He said, let the dead bury their own dead. You follow me. And then he says, anybody who looks, puts their hand to the plow and then looks back, they're not worthy to follow me. And you're like, wow, that's intense. But he's saying at some point you got to go all in. It's, it's, you know, it's like Tarzan swinging through the jungle. At some point you got to let go of the vine you're holding onto and go swing and grab onto the untested vine if you're going to keep your forward momentum. Mm-hmm. Then there's this adventure, a.k.a. the challenges that we face. And you, you, through this, you, you, we talked about antifragility a little earlier. Antifragility is this idea that you get stronger through those things that, that create stress and challenges within you. And you face the challenges, then you eventually come to a dark cave. This is what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. And this is the moment where God gets really quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where, and, and one of the things I talk about in the book is people often feel like God's silence is a sign of disapproval. And, and listen, there's a silence of disapproval if you're living in blatant sin, but there's a silence that comes when it's time to, you know, when it's time to pass the final test, the teacher sits in the corner quietly and doesn't feed you answers. And you're raising your hand, teacher, teacher, nope, nope. I trust that you've internalized 
what I've been teaching you over the time. Now show it to me through this test. Mm. And I, I say in the book, what if God's silence is actually a sign that he's confident you're going to pass this test? It's his sign of approval and you don't need his turn by turn instructions. And, you you know, those days when he would give you that parking spot at the mall right when you prayed for it, <laughs> those days could pass away. And he says, no, no, maturity means you're standing up, you're walking confident with what, what you've internalized. We face this dark cave, we emerge, uh, there's a resolution time where we really have to process, you know, experience isn't the best teacher, evaluated experience is the best teacher. Hmm. And we need to kind of look back and go, what, what, what did I learn from this? We gain a new perspective and then finally we emerge with, with a message. And I believe that God has given every one of us a problem to solve and a message to share. And those messages we get uh, to share with the world and the problem we have to solve comes from that those seasons he's taken us through. If you look back at your life, you'll see a thread of meaning and purpose in every season that he's been. That's why we come back to the kind of the circular pattern of we're doing this again, that again, but each time he's expanding us out. Uh, one of the verses I mentioned in there is where Paul says, he says, if we're out of our mind, it's because Christ's love compels us. And mm-hmm. that word compels is so fascinating. It's suneco in Greek. And it, it literally means in some translations, it says constrains. And you go, well, which one is it? Does he constrain us or compel us? It literally means he, he wraps his hands around us and squeezes us like a tube of toothpaste to become all. He pushes us out. And I think we've all felt that. I've talked to people at the top of their game who, when I talk to them, they say, I know I've arrived. People look at me and think I've arrived, but I know there's more in me. But then I've talked to people who have hit rock bottom. And every time they shoot up or snort up or with drugs, they say, I know I'm better than this. And it's Christ's love within us that it, it, when it's in us, there's this holy discontentment that pushes us out to become all he, he made us to be. That's that sanctification process. He's pushing us out. That suneco is what he's talking about. And that's where the circle just keeps getting wider and wider. And we keep coming back to certain themes. But each time he's expanding out who we are and we're seeing a, a little bit more glimpse of who he is. Mm. So let me go to the repetitive, uncomfortable circumstances. And, you know, um, some people have more travails than other people. That's just the reality of life. And life is not easy. That's the other reality of life. So if you have um, more travails than your friend, your neighbor, another family member, our first default position so often is, well, I must be in God's lower half of the graduating class because I'm having to repeat this lesson. How do we change our perspective on a redundancy of tribulation? that's, man, that is a hard one because, you know, there's a verse that says, who are you, O clay, to say to the potter, why have you made me this way? And so many times we go and we look, man, I'm, I'm doing my best to follow God. And this person over there is doing whatever they want and everything seems to click for them. And I I don't know, you know, the apostle Paul, one of the, in Acts, it says that they went, the, the apostles went around encouraging one another, saying through much suffering, we enter the kingdom of God. Again, that's not exactly what I'd put in a Hallmark card. That's not encouragement to me. <laughs> but Paul, Paul talks about this over and over again. And this is how he could say something as ridiculous as, so we rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Another point, he says, so we don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction, which is really what it is in the perspective of eternity, mm-hmm. is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, which is beyond all comparison. So here's what he says to do. You fix your eyes, not on what you can see. You don't go comparing. Why do they got it easier than I do? You fix your eyes on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that's that's what we have to do. And, and you got to stop comparing 
each other's journey. You got to walk your journey and trust that somewhere in there, God is building you. And it's, it's an eternal perspective. It's not just for this life. It's for eternity what he's building in you. Wow. Oh, Joel, what a wonderful conversation. Let me say what I've said several times before. There's so much more in this book. It is tremendous. I want to point out something that was self-evident if you were really listening. Joel knows the Word of God, inside out, upside down, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and he went right back to Scripture on why we can trust God, what the characteristic of God is, what this might mean. If you are not in the Word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, If you're not in the Word of God, then you're kind of floating out there without the benefit of the guidebook. And that's really what the scriptures are. You know, it's interesting. In Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he gets lost when he loses, quote, the map. What's the map? That was Bunyan's way of referring to the Word of God. So you can't go out there in the dark. That's why his Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So if you know his Word, you're going to better know who he is And then you're going to be able to do exactly what Joel has challenged us to do. Connect the dots. Seeing the hand of God and starting to make sense out of what you don't know is going on, but what he always does know is going on. Joel, it's an absolutely fabulous book. I'm going to encourage my friends to get it. You can learn more by going to our information page in the market with JanetParshall.org. Joel, Mom, thank you for a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Thank you, friends. Hope you're encouraged. We'll see you next time. Retractable claws up to one and a half inches long. Capable of jumping 36 feet. A roar that can be heard five miles away. The lion, king of the beasts. Picture yourself surrounded by several, like Daniel. He determined to pray, though he knew he would pay. Are we willing to face the lions of our culture? Be a Daniel. A challenge from Moody Radio. How long have you been a part of the Moody Radio family? Well, I've been listening to Moody since 1993. And I i mean, I get up with Moody, I go to bed with Moody, and it just, it's been a blessing in my life throughout all these years. The teaching and the worship and Moody is a station that is really rooted in the Word of God and they're serious about who is God. Serious about God? That's us. And we're seriously grateful for listeners like you. 